0: From Madison, Wisconsin, in the United States of global hegemony, it's Didactic Syncast, with your host, Eric P. Y'all ready for this? So powerful. that not only place heart-stopping seconds of anxiety. Learn, so, Y'all ready for this? so powerful. Hello, not- Earth! and welcome back to the didactic Syncast, your weekly overview of everything important on the planet earth i'm eric piotrowski aka duke scath in the world of video games and twitter aka scartol in the world of wikipedia and reddit on this show i bring you a range of news stories historical and literary perspectives and my opinions on topics like current events war human rights economics education hip-hop music and killer robots so buckle up and let's get started a little bit better and don't be a brand new kid to show showbiz. With knowledge, I persevere. But find out now do me a favor, favor let me in here. Then we can find a rhyme to fill in space and drop the bass with the I'm back, the- baby. Oh, I'm it's back been a long time. To- it's been a long time. Please don't ever sing Boston again. I can hear people tweeting to me now. Dear Duke, please don't ever sing Boston ever again. Um. Yeah. <laughs> I close my eyes and I drift away. Uh, man, I miss playing that song on Rock Band. My Rock Band instruments don't work anymore. It's totally bogus. They're all decrepit with age. And if I go look up for Rock Band instruments now, I could probably find one for like $5. It'd be like, hey, anybody got any Rock Band instruments? Oh, oh, it's here. Buy mine. Three cents. Uh, but I'd feel a little ridiculous, I suppose, buying a rock band instrument now, but I should do it because it would probably be easy. Anyway, I'm sorry for the extended delay, people. I don't know what to tell you. It's been crazy. Uh, we had finals at school and then a new semester. and That's always a busy time, but I have a student teacher now, blah, <laughs> and she's grading all the papers from creative writing, and so far I haven't had a whole lot of papers from AP English or the American Heritage class, so I'm like, whew. Taking it easy a little bit. Not really, though, because I had to watch how she's teaching and offer feedback and all that other stuff. I got a million other things going on in school. Blah, 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 blah. That's also the reason why I support the virtual troops is offline now. But whatever. Moving on. Um, I wanted to follow up real quick with the tour to Timor. Uh, the, I wanted to follow up with the East Timor show that I did last time by shouting out some people that are really important to me and I probably mentioned some of them along the way but uh, Johan and Malena are uh, two really cool people we know uh, one, uh, Johan grew up in Madison and uh, I guess he grew up in Minnesota maybe he lived in Madison for a while and then he went over to East Team when he fell in love with an awesome lady named Melina, and uh, they got married and they have a kid named Fidelis and they're all three of them are awesome awesome people so I'll shout them out what's up sorry I didn't shout you out last time uh, Tom and Inga Foley are also really cool people we know them in Madison here uh, he's a woodworker she works for the public television here um, they're both really cool people, and they've been involved for a long time with the East Timor struggle. Uh, Mike Iltis and Elliot Stokes are also two really cool people here in Madison that have been working for a long time on East Timor solidarity issues. Uh, Colleen and Hector, speaking of long-distance runners for justice, um... Colleen uh, lived in Madison for a while and she went over to East Timor and met a fella uh, from Australia named Hector Hill and he's really cool and they're both just awesome and they were in Madison recently so I'll shout them out and uh, also I'll shout out Nate Osborne. I don't know if I mentioned him or not but uh, on the slideshow there's a couple pictures of Nate Osborne and he's just a really awesome dude and I miss him a lot. He died a few years back so um, much love to you Nate and thanks to everybody who gave positive feedback about that East Timor show. Um, I was surprised because even the Duchess said, like, it was a really good show. And I was like, but you've heard that story a million times. And I feel like I've heard it so often that it's kind of weird how it doesn't really affect me anymore. But um, apparently it was, uh, she said it was very well delivered. So thank you, Duchess. I appreciate you you're saying that, your kind words and your love and you're awesome. Um, I'll also give a shout out to my brother Mark and his son, uh, Avit, and uh, his wife, not Avit's wife, but Mark's wife, Janine. Uh, they just celebrated Mark's birthday and Avit's birthday because they're one day after another. And uh, Janine sent the most awesome photo of Avit ever uh, with him doing the no pants balloon dance. Uh, do the no pants balloon dance. Get down, Avit. He's definitely his father's son, and uh, I love it. It's now my wallpaper on my iPod Touch here. So, uh, yeah, I can see avit doing the no-pants balloon dance anytime I want. And it's a very cute picture, and he's a very cute kid. And I can't wait to see him again soon. All right, uh, the action alert for this time around has to do with freeing Leonard Peltier. Uh, if you don't know, then you're too slow. Uh, Leonard Peltier is a, um, a member of the Oglala Sioux Nation, and he was arrested in the 1970s for the uh, supposed murder of two um FBI agents who had gone onto the uh, Sioux Reservation there, and uh, there's a lot of evidence to suggest he did not get a fair trial. He was not the one who was responsible for the deaths, but he was involved with the American Indian Movement in the 1970s, and there's a lot of evidence to suggest that it's a political uh, imprisonment. And so, yeah, we should take a stand and say, uh-uh, let Leonard P. free, because you wiped out his race like an ant colony. What you afraid of? And he may a quash found a lion in a ditch with no place for a watch. Uh, that's a from a song by The Goats. And their album uh, "Tricks of the Shade" had uh, some really cool political stuff on it, including tracks about Leonard Peltier. Uh, maybe someday I'll use the Goats in the hip-hop section, but not this week. We got something else we gotta talk about about hip-hop. But I should put some. No, I'm not putting any music in. Uh, maybe I'll play a sample from that thing. Anyway, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's talk about some current no events. There's been a lot of stuff going on since I last hollered at you. I sound like the the dude in the onion. Hola, amigos. It's been a long time since I rapped at you. Um... There's this rogue cop that, like, killed people, and it's such a sad story. It's like a tragedy any way you look at it. Uh, He apparently spent many years in the LAPD, and he suffered a lot of discrimination and people calling him names and use of the N-word, and, you know, there were things that he said. So he published this manifesto online or something, and I don't even remember the guy's name. I'll link to the information that I'm going to talk about here because Davey D. had, he published his electronic manifesto, which was either on his Facebook or something, Um, and, uh, so the dude said that, like, the guy who supposedly defended him at his firing hearing by internal affairs didn't do a good job and, and all this, and so he killed the dude's, like, daughter or something, and it's so messed up, and the guy's obviously, like, a sick psychopath, uh, but that said, you know, Apparently, some of the things he talked about happening at the LAPD had a lot to do with corruption and people looking the other way when brutality was going on. Uh, so it's just a really messed up situation, and I hope they capture him at some point. And, uh, I mean, you know, he ought to obviously stand trial for all the horrible things he's done, including killing people, apparently. Uh, so, yeah, that's just a sick, twisted situation. Um And then, I don't know, international events. What's been going on? I mean, you know, Obama got re-inaugurated. Oh, and this girl who performed at the Obama inauguration then got killed on the south side of Chicago in some gang shooting. And uh, Michelle Obama went to the funeral, which was, I think, yesterday or today, the 9th or 10th of February. And uh, people wanted Obama himself to go because he went to the Sandy Hook site of the, sh- the shooting in Sandy Hook and uh, there have been some people who have said, you know, it's a kind of a double standard in America because we get, obviously and justifiably outraged when, uh, you know, people get killed in white communities, but we don't seem to get as outraged and we don't show as much concern when black kids get killed, especially if it's involved in gang violence. We have an attitude of like, oh, well, that's just a normal state of affairs on the south side of Chicago or, you know, in the Bronx or Brooklyn or whatever, and uh, that's not okay. It's totally messed up and we ought to be as outraged and as shocked and as saddened and as driven to action when that kind of violence happens in, uh, you know, Compton or, or East St. Louis as it does, as we do when it happens in Connecticut or Columbine, Colorado. All right. Enough of that. Let's talk about John Brennan. I know everyone out there is like, hurry up and get to John Brennan. And I'm like, I'm getting to him. Calm down. No, don't tell me to calm down. I want to hear about John Brennan. You're really angry at your iPod.
1: I listen on a Zoom!
0: Oh no wonder you're angry. Shut up and talk about John Brennan! All right, calm down, angry listener. Don't tell me to calm down! Uh, Okay, so John Brennan. John Brennan is this guy who's about to uh, be nominated for the uh, position of CIA chief under the new Obama administration, and he is coincidentally... Well, whatever. He is the guy who first basically came out in public about the fact that the U.S. uses drones to drop bombs on people in Pakistan and Yemen and other places like that. Um, So there's a really interesting piece in, where was this? The New Yorker, uh, a blog of The New Yorker uh, by a guy named, whose name is it? Let me look and find out what his name is. I feel like an old man. Uh, Dexter Filkins. (laughs) <laughs> well, that's a made-up name. Anyway, this guy Dexter Filkin spent a lot of time in Yemen and Pakistan. And uh, so he wrote a piece called John Brennan and the Truth About Drones. And he, this is what he wrote. When I read the news that John Brennan was set to appear before the Senate in hopes of becoming the CIA director, I thought of the group of villagers I met at a seaside hotel in Yemen two years ago. The villagers from Al-Majala, uh, had come to the hotel parking lot to tell me their story. Hussein Abdullah, a herdsman, told me that he had been, lending, he had been tending a herd of goats and camels when Al-Majalah was hit. He recalled lying in his tent at sunrise, half awake, when there was an enormous flash. The sky turned white, Abdullah said. Everything suddenly disappeared. He was knocked unconscious, and when he came to, he told me, he saw his wife running toward him. And when she threw her arms around me, I felt blood all over me, he said. She died, as did his daughter. Only his infant son survived. End quote. So, you know, there was a really good Bill Moyers thing, and I'll add a link to the Bill Moyers thing. Uh, Bill Moyers' podcast is just so good. If you don't subscribe to the Bill Moyers podcast, you're missing perhaps the best political podcast in the United States right now. Because he he has really good guests who have a very interesting perspective on everything. and, And they're not like fringe weirdos. They're 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 people who have really important things to say. They do a lot of good research. Um so he just had a show recently about drones and uh they had a, a pair of people, one from the Center for Constitutional Rights, who have done a lot of good work in terms of trying to prosecute war crimes and trying to bring attention to uh, violations of international law by people in the United States, uh, you know, Hammer Kiss and George W. George w Bush, etc. Um, and then there was another woman who I think she had worked at the CIA and they had a very interesting dialogue. And it was a dialogue. It wasn't a debate. It was a dialogue. It was like, well, I agree with that or, you know, I take a slightly different approach to this. Uh, so it's just a really interesting conversation rather than, as we often get on political shows, like a back and forth and, rah, 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 and nothing gets accomplished. And there's no progress made and no one ever finds any common ground. Uh so this discussion they had uh was was all you know the woman said okay look I'm not interested in you know going after just John Brennan you know it's not about this one dude and and what he's agreed to or not the question is what does our government do and and what is the justification for it because she made a very important distinction which I really liked. George W Bush always said the law doesn't apply to my presidency. Like I can do whatever I want to because we're in this war on terror and so it doesn't matter what Congress says or what the Supreme Court decides because I'm just basically above the law, he said. But Obama has never said that. Obama has always said, oh, I have legal grounds for everything that we do, including dropping drone bombs on people in Pakistan and Yemen, um but i believe that i'm in the right because you know i have this team of lawyers and 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 so on and so forth now that doesn't necessarily obviate him from uh, from the responsibilities of of you know living under the law but uh he you know, we, he doesn't have any, he's never released any of the information about what's guiding that thought process or what his legal standing is. And and that's, you know, in contrast with his whole persona of transparency, which he's always been a big, you know, proponent of in public. And so the question is, okay, yeah, you know, if you are doing this, it, you know, and, and, and she said that there are certain things that the U.S. government can't reveal about national security because it would jeopardize national security. Well, that's a convenient thing, of course, because then you could just say anything as a matter of national security. And of course, that's what George W. Bush did, and that's what Obama does about a lot of things. Um, that said, I'm not the type of person who says like, "Yo, you know, WikiLeaks anonymous, we, we just reveal everything." Uh, on the same, on the other hand, I, I I think she makes a very good point that you know, if if he does say that these matters of national security are on sound legal footing, you should at least tell us what that legal footing is so we can have some sort of discussion about what is and is not allowed under international law, U.S. law. And and, and the question of U.S. law has to do with killing American citizens, which we have done with drones. And uh, that's a, a different matter than you know and and the other guy from the Center of Constitutional Rights kept saying like this is a st- we are dropping these bombs on countries we are not at war with. It's one thing if we're at war with these countries, but it's quite another if we're not at war with them. Um and there was another article which uh, I thought I linked to here but I guess I didn't. Uh there's a very interesting question about Yemen it may have been this it was in the same thing from the New Yorker. So just read the article uh, from the guy with the made up name here. Let me find out what his name is. Kip Friskin. No, Dexter Filkins. Uh yeah, his thing has this whole thing about, you know, Yemen said, "Oh, we're we're waging war on the jihadis," but then it was all, "Oh, we'll continue saying the bombs are ours, not yours." So the US was the one dropping the bombs, but Yemeni president Uh, said to David Petraeus, oh, don't worry, we'll make it look like it's us doing the fighting because people in Yemen would probably be a little upset if it was the U.S. doing the bombing. So, you know, there's all this deception and and doublespeak and stuff going on with the drones. And uh, fortunately, there have been more and more people talking about it, which I think is a great thing. And I'm hoping that will lead somewhere in terms of shift of policy or at least more you know, congressional discussions, maybe some oversight from Congress, because right now it's basically the president just points at someone on his list and says that person should die and they die. And, and, and people around them die, men, women, and children who are not militants, they also die. And uh, that's messed up because even from a practical standpoint, as I've said, this is not serving us in a national security point of view, because every time you kill an innocent person, their brother or their cousin or whatever, they're going to be like, oh, you killed my brother with one of your flying robots. I'm sure you had good reasons. No, of course not. They're going to be mad and they might get involved in terrorist activity even though they hadn't been before. So it's just not a good idea from a practical point of view, not to mention the moral abhorrence and the you know, ethical questions and all that speaking of extremely muddy moral things, uh, fracking is all over the place. Now the Matt Damon movie, Matt Damon, I saw it. Did I mention that? I saw it. I don't think I mentioned that I saw it. I saw it cause it was only in Madison theaters for like two weeks. And I didn't know that. So I was like, Oh, Diane and I'll go see it as soon as she comes back. She's on some trip. I think to see her dad. And so I was like, Oh, I can't wait. So I went to see it and I was like, Oh, it's a great movie. It's a good movie. I should say it's a good movie. It's not a great movie. It's good. It's very good. Um. And uh, but then when I got done, well, I, the next weekend we were like, "Let's go!" And then we went looking, and it was gone already. So now we have to wait for the DVD. <sighs> but uh, that said, uh, there's it's a lot. It's generated a lot of discussion, and there were also some decisions and things that came out uh, recently that said, "Hey, let's take a look at this fracking thing." So uh, the New York Times had a piece recently that said the headline was, "Hydrofracking Safe?" says New York Health Department analysis. The state's health department found in an analysis it prepared early last year that the much-debated drilling technology known as hydrofracking could be conducted safely in New York, according to a copy obtained by the New York Times from an expert who did not believe it should be kept secret. But it remains difficult to discern how much original research the state has done on potential health impacts and environmentalists worry that the administration's lack of transparency is hiding a lack of rigor in its assessment of public health risks. Quote, the document itself is not a health impact study at all, said Catherine Nadeau, the Water and Re- Natural Resources Program Director at Environmental Advocates of New York, who has reviewed it. As drafted, it is merely a defense or justification as to why the administration didn't do a rigorous study. End quote. Last September, Ms. Nadeau's group submitted a state freedom of information law request to the Cuomo administration seeking any health impact studies that had been conducted, but has yet to receive any such documents, a common delay tactic by the administration on various issues. Quote, This is Governor Cuomo saying to the people of New York, once again, trust me on fracking, when on the health impact side of it, the public has been kept completely in the dark, Ms. Nadeau said. Uh, And Democracy Now! also had a debate about fracking. And if you give me a second, I can tell you who was part of that debate. Uh, Debate on controversial natural gas drilling technique as New York moratorium may expire. And so the guests are Matt Ryan, the mayor of Binghamton, New York, and a former professor of environmental law. He is an outspoken opponent of fracking. Daniel Simmons, uh, the director of the State of Regulatory Affairs at the Institute for Energy Research. Sounds like an industry front group to me. Kate Hudson of the Watershed Program Director at Riverkeeper, New York's Clean Water Advocate and filmmaker who produced the pro-fracking documentary called Frack Nation, which portrays fracking in a positive light. And I went looking for information about that guy. He's very uh, interesting because he likes to follow Josh Fox around, the guy who made Gasland. And he like asks him all these questions, like, "Isn't it true that?" And he has a Scottish accent, so I won't try to. Or maybe it's Irish. Um, I'm probably offending people overseas, but anyway, uh, that's my job. He, he's, he's. I don't believe that he's in the pay of industry groups, but he is intriguingly pro-fracking. Like it's like when Jim and Jim's Journal, if you ever read the comic book Jim's Journal, he has this whole thing about when he worked at McDonald's, he was like explaining the people he worked with, and then he got to the manager, and he's like, "This is Mike. Mike has an odd rever the manager. Mike has an odd reverence for McDonald's." It's like, "Why would you be so like reverent and and submissive toward this. Anyway, that's what this guy is kind of like with fracking. So anyway, it's an interesting discussion, and I, I believe that that sort of, again, that exchange, the dialogue is important. In in that case, it's more of a bashing heads type of thing, because the one dude, especially the guy who makes the pro-fracking movie, he's like, is it true that it's, it's good and it's safe? And man, not- we've been doing it for 20 years. And-, and everybody on the other side is saying, like, look, these... Techniques of fracking that are being done today are very different from the methods of fracking that were done 20 years ago. Uh, So people look at, you know, North Dakota and they're like, oh, fracking's been going on there and it's totally safe. But there, it's a different ballgame now, and and there's you know all the list of chemicals of things that are being poured into the water, and and all these questions about how it's being done, and and the health impacts, and the movement of the sh- the shale, and I've probably mentioned before that Gasland has a really good PDF file. It's like 50 pages or something on their website with all these experts talking about how you know the the science of what's in Gasland and and you know it's called affirming Gasland and it's all about like you know everything in that movie uh we we're looking at it now in a scientific lens and it's there's plenty to worry about they say so anyway that's the stuff about fracking and it's a really interesting issue for me and uh, I doubt Kayla will listen to this but if so what up Opperman what up Op uh yeah there was another article I found on the Harvard School of Public Health uh the headline was more guns equals more homicide. Our review of the academic literature found that a broad array of evidence indicates that gun availability is a risk factor for homicide, both in the United States and across high-income countries. Case control studies, ecological time series, and cross-sectional studies indicate that in homes, cities, states, and regions in the U.S. where there are more guns, both men and women are at a higher risk for homicide, particularly firearm homicide. Gee, imagine that. More guns equals more homicide. Who would have thought? Uh, I think Bill Hicks spoke about this a long time ago. There's no connection between having a gun and shooting someone with it, and not having a gun, and not shooting someone. You'd be a fool and a communist to think so, he said. However, guns sometimes do awesome things, and I'm not going to completely bash guns, because once in a while I see a story that really restores my faith in gun users and gun owners. And this was such a story. And this comes to us from uh, rawstory.com, but I saw it elsewhere too. Uh, It's a a heartwarming tale about a man protecting himself Georgia man guns down immigrant after GPS sends him to the wrong driveway. A 69-year-old war veteran and former missionary was arrested over the weekend on the suspicion of killing a 22-year-old Cuban immigrant who mistakenly arrived in his driveway because of faulty GPS directions. Friends who were in the car with Diaz, a guy named Diaz, uh, told WSB-TV they were trying to pick up a friend on the way to ice skating on Saturday, but their GPS directed them to the wrong address. The friend said they waited in the driveway for a few minutes before sailors, the uh, the war veteran, uh, Uh, emerged from the house and fired a gun into the air. Diaz tried to turn the car around to leave, but sailors fired another shot, striking the immigrant on the left side of the head. The group, which included a 15 and an 18-year-old, said that sailors held them at gunpoint until police arrived, and Diaz later died. So, you know, there's an example of someone with a gun using it for something really good. And and I think, you know, those cases don't show up much, but I think that's a good example of guns being used in a positive way. And we ought to occasionally remember things like that, so we don't get buried under all those negative stories about, I'm kidding, by the way, in case anybody thinks, like, God, I didn't realize Duke hates Cuban immigrants. No, I'm totally joking in order to keep from la- uh, crying. uh Langston Hughes called it laughing to keep from crying. So that's what I'm doing here. I'm laughing. Keep on laughing till the cops come. An amazing mea culpa from the IMF's chief economist on austerity. The International Monetary Fund's top economist today acknowledged that the fund blew its forecast for Greece and other European economies because it did not fully understand how government austerity efforts would undermine economic growth. So there you go, people. Finally, we have the IMF admitting, oh, wait, austerity works exactly the way that a lot of people said it would. And we just kept going with the whole austerity thing because we were just convinced, like the people in the crucible, they believed they held the candle in their hands that would light the darkness, that we had the truth and everybody else was just a bunch of idiots quote, forecasters significantly underestimated the increase in unemployment and the decline in domestic demand associated with fiscal consolidation, Blanchard and co-author Daniel Lee, a fund economist, wrote in the paper. And people in the U.S., wake up. Hey, Tea Party, this is exactly why all this tax cut cut spending bullcrap doesn't fly in the U.S. either. It's the same thing. Paul Krugman saying the exact same thing. And this depression now austerity, cutting spending, the whole thing is silly because it requires an an element of ridiculous contract. I mean, look, I'm a public employee. You cut my salary, you cut spending in other public methods. I'm not going to spend as much money on restaurants and 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 local shops and services and things, right? And then the economy tends to spin down. And then you know maybe something somehow ticks up, but but one of the good things about public spending is that it can help to stimulate the economy during times of slowdown or recession or depression, and that's exactly why we should not be cutting spending now. Gah! Meanwhile, speaking of Dinguses in positions of power, this guy named Jack Lew is uh, probably going to be Obama's Secretary Treasury. Treasury Secretary pick. Uh, Huffington Post had a very interesting piece about how Jack Lou oversaw a Citigroup unit that shorted the housing market Lou is a longtime public servant who has spent nearly 30 years in various positions throughout government and spent a few years at Citi, and one year at its then $54 billion proprietary trading hedge fund and private equity unit. In an age in which the housing collapse led to a financial upheaval that cost 8 million American jobs and plunged the nation into its deepest recession since the Great Depression, bets that profited off the collapse may not be perceived in the best light. So he was involved in this group at city uh, this working group at Citigroup, uh, this unit that that basically profited off of uh, these these mortgage tradings and the hedge fund and all this stuff. Uh, that a lot of them made money off of these mortgages going bad. And in a lot of cases, I don't know if it's true about Citigroup or not. It certainly was true about Goldman Sachs. People set up these lousy mortgages and then they purposely bet against them. So they were sort of you know ki- kicking the the poor homeowners when they were down. Now, other things I've seen about Jack Lou indicate that, okay, he's, yeah, he's buddy buddy with the industry, but he's also been somebody who's spoken out in favor of like Medicare, Medicaid, and uh, some forms of public spending. So given the rant that I just got done with, uh, maybe it's, it's, uh, a case where it's like, oh, this is the best we're gonna get. Uh, I, I feel like that's always the case with Democratic administrations. When Clinton was in office, there were all this stuff about, oh, who's he nominating for this? Who's he nominating for that? And especially with Obama, because his whole thing is like, oh, team arrivals. Uh, I'm Lincoln. It's, it's, it's. It, alla- it It results in this thing of like, okay, he's gonna try to compromise and then hope that Republicans like him and then he'll he'll get what he wants. And of course, it doesn't work that way. And he's a fool if he thinks it does. And uh, he needs to be standing up and fighting a little more. Now, some people say that his inauguration speech the second time indicate that he's ready to fight and he's willing to stand up for public spending and certain things on the left of the agenda. But i got to be honest, all this stuff about immigration reform, talking about securing the border, securing the border, what does that mean? Militarization at the border and more people dying, probably. And, you know, maybe we'll get the DREAM Act out of it. Maybe we'll get a little bit, you know, a little better uh, pathway to citizenship. But as her turn reported, thanks, Duchess. Uh, the domestics are often not included in these discussions, and so the pathway to citizenship may not include all the women who, you know, work so hard to take care of babies and families and cleaning up houses and stuff. Uh, and that's totally bogus. So, whatever. Anyway, moving on. BoldProgressive.org. It's a great website. Actually, I've never been there before. I just went to there for the first time recently. Uh, But they had a piece that said, Ending corporate tax dodging would cut the deficit twice as much as hiking the Medicare age. So, apparently, some people are talking about, Oh, the Medicare, it's true about Medicare, Social Security, all these programs. We should hike the eligibility age. And you can't retire until you're 70 or 68 or whatever it is. And I'm on record as being totally against that because our bodies are deteriorating at pretty much the same rate they always have. Uh, We're living longer, but it's not as though we're forestalling the onset of puberty, for instance. And some people might say, given Juliet Shore's book, The Overworked American, uh, that this is actually an economic structure (laughs) that is causing our bodies to deteriorate more quickly because we're doing more work than ever before. So... I, the idea of making people wait longer to retire is totally bogus. Because I guarantee you this: anybody arguing for that, ask them when they plan to retire, or see when they actually retire from Congress or from their think tanks or where you know Wall Street firm wherever they work. I'll bet you anything they retire by 65 or maybe before. So don't give me a bunch of hokum about oh we gotta make people work till they're 70 and then they can have some time to take it easy. No, bogus. You work for, you know, 40 years. You deserve some time to relax afterwards. We should take care of our senior citizens. Anyway, here's what the boldprogressive.org... Get to the bold progressive! Stop with all the tangents! Calm down, Zoom listener. You can't call me that! There's a lot of Zoom listeners! Whatever. Earlier this month, the Congressional Budget Office said we could raise $114 billion over 10 years, twice as much as raising the Medicare age, by limiting corporate tax deferrals. The way to do this would be to subject all income earned by foreign subsidiaries of U.S. corporate. I know. Uh, uh, Subject all income earned by foreign subsidiaries of U.S. corporations to U.S. tax laws by limiting or eliminating deferrals for overseas profits. Right now, large corporations like Microsoft will shift their profits to overseas locations, such as remote islands in the Caribbean or Switzerland, to avoid paying taxes on them. Uh, Now, my question is, is that reading of the CBO report accurate? Maybe. I don't have time to read through it myself. You do it. I don't have time to just do most of the stuff I'm supposed to be doing for this website. It's supposed to be playing video games so I can relax and be sane for school on Monday. Hey, listen, I don't have time to play with the phone here. I got a lot of stuff I got to get yeah. done. But I'm busy looking at Business Week articles, including, speaking of tax havens, uh, they had this very interesting thing on Business Week about Netherlands being the new tax haven everyone goes to. Yahoo and Dell, apparently, are running to the Netherlands as a tax haven. Uh, so here's what Business Week says. Yahoo has taken advantage of the law to quietly funnel hundreds of millions of dollars in global profits. First of all, how does Yahoo have hundreds of millions of global profits anyway? I can't imagine. they're making. What are they making money off of? Uh, Yahoo Answers is the only thing I know about Yahoo anymore. And that's only because of my brother, my brother, and my brother, and my, my brother. Uh, that's a great show, by the way. That's another one. Bill Moyers and Bim Bam. If you don't listen to those two, then your iPod is incomplete. Or your Zune. What about my Zune? Uh So anyway, Yahoo is channeling all these profits to island subsidiaries, cutting its worldwide tax bill. The Yahoo! arrangement illustrates that the Netherlands, in the heart of a continent better known for social welfare than corporate welfare, zing, uh, has emerged as one of the most important tax havens for multinational companies. Now, as a deficit-strapped Europe raises retirement ages, there it is again, and taxes on the working class, the Netherlands' role as a $13 trillion relay station on the global tax-avoiding network is prompting a backlash. That's the sound of a backlash. Dropping bombs on people in Yemen Through robots That's backlash It's coming man It'll happen And Chalmers Johnson Is the one who called it blowback That's exactly what's going to happen And so apparently that's happening Who's calling me Go away Whoa I made it stop ringing Through the force of my yelling Maybe I won't take that out of the show. I'm just going to keep going. Attracted by the Netherlands' lenient policies and extensive network of tax treaties, companies such as Yahoo, Google Inc., Merck & Company, and Dell Incorporated have moved profits through through the country. Uh, Using techniques with nicknames such as the Dutch Sandwich, that's it, that's the name of the show, (laughs) the Dutch Sandwich, as it mirrors in, like, some sort of horrible, dirty uh, sex technique. Like, hey, honey, let's try the Dutch sandwich. Or it could be a delicious new thing at Subway. Stop in today and try the Dutch sandwich. It's imaginary profits from Yahoo on t- fresh toasted bread. Multinational, c- using the Dutch sandwich, Multinational companies routed 10.2 trillion euros in 2010 through 14,300 Dutch special financial units, according to the Dutch Central Bank. Such units often only exist on paper, as is allowed by law. So, there you go. Everything this week on education has to do with testing. Everyone's talking about testing. Testing, and testing, and testing, testing, testing. And, test and it doesn't matter how much Jonathan Kozol or any other, uh, you know, Diane Ravitch or anybody else says that focusing too narrowly on testing is limiting the vitality and the meaning of education as some sort of, you know, uh, democratic process that allows people to think more fully and become more ontologically real as human beings, blah, blah, blah. No, whatever. It doesn't matter. All that we know is you got to test people, you make sure that they're achieving and you close achievement gaps and this and that. Unless anybody think that I have any problem with closing achievement gaps, of course I don't. I recognize that there is a very serious problem in the United States in terms of how we deliver education to, for instance, black students and white students and Latino students versus white students or whatever it is. But I also think that this fanaticism about testing and numbers and data uh, overwhelms the most important issues about education, which have to do with student inertia and internal versus external motivation in terms of like why people read or not and whether learning is enjoyable and all this other stuff. So I say that to say this. Uh the education of Michelle Ree is a really interesting frontline piece which take a look at uh the the tenure of Michelle Ree as the superintendent uh, or the chancellor or the CEO, I don't even remember what her title was, in the Washington, D.C. public school system. And She's in it, so it's not a hatchet job, and it's not a total attack piece, but it does raise some very important questions about allegations of what are called unusual erasures among students. Because what happens is, when they have a thing, and they, okay, they give a standardized test to a school, and normally you might have, you know, on an average test, a kid will erase six or seven answers and then change their answer, on these certain tests among students who show amazing progress, you have like 30 or 40 questions that are being erased and changed. So there's a lot of questions about who's doing the racing and, and whether it's abnormal or there are any leaks in security, whether there was fraud going on. And I'm sorry, I don't give Michelle Reed the benefit of the doubt. I don't give any school the benefit of the doubt in terms of raising these scores and closing achievement gaps. I agree there are things schools can do better and maybe even systematic things we need to change and make things do better. But I'm also very suspicious of the isolated examples that show up and people say, "Oh, this school is doing great. This principal is doing amazing things." Um, absent of the actual evidence and a prolonged, uh, comprehensive change of climate at the school, I- I'm, I'm not. I'm not going to trust a couple years worth of test data, because a couple years worth of test data can be arrived at in any number of ways. And. My experience of looking at different school districts around the country, the research I've done suggests to me that it has often a lot to do with cooking numbers and fiddling with statistics like on the wire when they're talking about Daniels needs to bring him, you know, clean numbers, but he also needs to make the crime statistics go down. And you know what? Cops are like teachers. They're doing what they can to keep the crime down. They can't be blamed if it's, you know, non-existent. Crime rises consistent with the poverty rate. And there's a lot of reasons why crime happens. So The same is true about people messing up in school. It's not totally a matter of poverty, but poverty is a huge factor. And more to the point, even if you're not just going to look at poverty, you can look at a lot of different things, but it's not fair to just say, oh, it's just about the teacher's fault. I mean, teachers need to be held responsible, no question. But, uh, for instance, in Madison, we're getting this new lady who was uh, one of the chief education officers. So it's CEO, get it? But it's education, not executive. Ha, cute. She was one of the people in charge of the Chicago public school systems when they were doing all the crazy stuff that was making the Chicago teachers go on strike. And now she's coming to Madison. She's going to be the new Super Nintendo of the Madison School District. So I'm not too happy about that. And, uh, you know, whatever. Like, there are people who are in in the the articles I read, people were like, oh, the teachers' union is going to be against anything the district wants to do differently. they're just And every time there's new change that happens in a school district, it's always the same thing. They have this thing, it's like, well, there's always people who oppose change just because it's change. And I'm sorry, that is a problem, I suppose, but... There's also people who oppose change because it's a step in the wrong direction. And I'm one of those people. And I'm not saying anything specific about certain policies, Madison or the school district I teach in or whatever. They're trying to pursue. All I'm saying is that we we can't look at naysayers as being you know negative Nellies. Oh, they're just opposing change because it's change. We have to look at what people are saying about why the change is bad. And in the case of this business model education reform movement, this is nothing new. I've said this for 10 years. The, The business model education reform movement is focused only on numbers and they're ignoring the fact that some of the most important stuff that ever happens in schools cannot be measured think about it yourself who is the teacher that you had that showed you the light that helped make your life better that gave you the intellectual and mental tools required to become a lifelong learner Who was the teacher that gave you that support moral emotional whatever creative support maybe I had teachers that gave me amazing creative support that it wasn't about you know learning to write essays better it wasn't about reading you know certain things in a better way tools for learning vocabulary words and all that I mean that's part of it but but there's also teachers who said like you know what you should totally read Thoreau because he gave us awesome insight into the human condition and I did and they were right and now I have better insight into the human condition that doesn't show up on a standardized test Meanwhile, even if we do look at the numbers, uh, Ed Week had a really interesting piece called Global Achievement Study Casts U.S. Scores in Better Light. U.S. achievement looks more favorable on the global stage when comparisons take into account the especially large share of American adolescents who come from disadvantaged social backgrounds, concludes a study released today by the Stanford Graduate School of Education and the Economic Policy Institute. The gap, for instance, between U.S. students and those from top-scoring nations on one prominent global assessment would be cut in half in reading and by at least one-third in math, the study says, if statistical adjustments were made for social class. In addition, the 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 study finds that while the achievement of disadvantaged U.S. students has been, quote, rising rapidly over time, test scores for such students in some nations to which the United States is frequently compared, such as Finland and South Korea, have been falling rapidly. So... The, 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 the question about, I mean, I, and this is all just to say, I mean, I'm not trying to apologize for problems with the U.S. school system. As I've said, there are serious issues in terms of, especially in terms of race and class and how the schools serve or don't serve uh, minority students and, and schools in minority neighborhoods and all that stuff. However... We, we get a lot of gloom and doom on the news and we get a lot of sweeping generalizations. Going back hundreds of years, this is nothing new. This this is I had stuff in the Prophet Without Honors thing about something, Cotton Mather in 1641 or whatever, talking about, oh, schools are leading our children into a cesspool. Thomas Jefferson wanted this weird thing uh, Jamie Vollmer talks about it in his book, the Schools Cannot Do It Alone. And he's, he's, it's all about, Thomas Jefferson was talking about, oh, we should, like he had this really weird draconian thing Jefferson suggested that we have like every year we take like the best kid from the class or the best five kids or something and then the rest of them all go into ditch digging and this is talking about like third grade and then okay those, so those five best kids move on to the next grade and then you take that that class that they join the next year and then you test them again and then the best five there go on and the rest of them go to ditch digging or whatever I mean it's just really weird I mean talk about high stakes testing holy crap. So, I mean, this is nothing new, this notion that like, oh, schools are horrible. They're not giving us what we need. And usually, let's be honest, when we talk about schools are failing our society, they're not preparing people for the future, they're usually talking about jobs. They're usually talking about what the business community needs, right? That's what we hear all the time. These people aren't going to be career-ready. People aren't going to be ready for, the, you know, life in the business world. And I'm not saying the business world is unimportant. Obviously, people should be ready to join the business world if they want to join the business world. But the business world is not the only world. What about the world of government oversight? What about the world of librarians? And what about the world of, you know, uh helping out in community centers? What about the world of, you know, uh uh being a chef or I mean there's hundreds and hundreds of different kinds of jobs out there and those are that's the kind of world we need to prepare people to be to be global citizens to be members of a democracy and and uh, there's a lot of problems with how we're preparing people for that And even if we prepare kids to be members of the business world that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be ready to be members of a democracy Anyway, one last thing in this Ed Week piece. Uh, The authors say that, quote, social class inequality, end quote, is greater in the United States than in any of the countries with which we can reasonably be compared. As a result, the relative performance of U.S. adolescents is better than it appears when countries' national average performance is conventionally compared. So, just keep that in mind when we're talking about how horrible the schools are, is that it's not apples to apples. Finally, robotic robotic beings rule the world. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. The humans are dead. They look like they're dead. It had to be done. I'll just confirm that they're dead. So that we can have fun. Affirmative. I poked one. It was dead. All right. So there's a lot of stuff in the killer robots file. Let's get to it. Uh, Canada wins. Blame Canada. Actually, I'm not blaming Canada. I am celebrating Canada. Canada rules. They have issued the coolest coin of all time. I'm sorry, Caesar. I'm sorry, uh, Sacagawea, I'm sorry, Susan B. Anthony, Canada wins, they have issued, first of all, they killed their pennies, thank God, what took so long, when are we gonna kill our pennies in the United States, stupid crap, it, there's a little dish in my, uh, the, the door of my car, and it's supposed to be for, I don't know what it's supposed to be for, but I put all my pennies in there, and they just get in the way, and they're useless, they're for nothing, the pennies suck, kill all pennies, uh, But Canada killed their pennies. And then they introduced a glow-in-the-dark dinosaur quarter. How awesome. I've got to get one of these. Anybody in Canada who has access to a dinosaur quarter, please let me know. I would love to get a glow-in-the-dark dinosaur quarter from Canada. Please, I'm begging you. Stulek, I'm sorry I made fun of how you don't talk. Please forgive me and send me a glow-in-the-dark dinosaur quarter. I would love to have one of these. I could probably get one online, but I'd rather beg my listeners. Uh, in less than two weeks after announcing it was removing the penny from circulation, the Royal Canadian Mint is back in the news! After revealing plans for a glow-in-the-dark quarter featuring an illuminated dinosaur skeleton, you've got to see this article on Yahoo News. I thought you said you didn't like Yahoo! you making fun of Yahoo! Uh, anyway, the... Uh, Dude, it's got this dinosaur, this uh, Triceratops, on the on the coin, and it just looks like a normal Triceratops, but when you, it glows in the dark, and it, the skeleton shows through. It's so awesome! When exposed to light, the corridor looks fairly ordinary, featuring the image of Queen Elizabeth on one side and the image of a dinosaur on the other. But take away the light, and the corridor produces its own bright display, as the full image of the Pacorinoceros... Lacusti is replaced by a glowing visage of its skeleton. The 26-foot dinosaur was discovered in Canada in 1972. Yeah, I guess it's not a triceratops. So again, I, I've got to get one of those. Please, someone in Canada send me one. Uh, speaking of things that glow in the dark, North Dakota Thanks, Jayden This is from the blog of Robert Krulwich, who is a co-host of the NPR show Radio Lab, which is also a good podcast, although they're having a kind of weird effect on other general interest uh, podcasts because to the best of our knowledge, which is a really good show that comes out of uh, Wisconsin Public Radio here in Wisconsin, strangely enough uh, they're, they're starting to try to be like Radio Lab, so like all their shows now have these like bash-ups of all these audio clips from pop culture and it's just like i think tt book's trying to be like radio lab is like, oh, really hot let's try to be more like them and it doesn't fit like tt book is a much more low-key you know kind of older person show which is fine like that's it's a good show they have interesting interviews with important people and to see them trying to be more like radio lab is just ridiculous anyway uh so here's the thing about north dakota what we have here is an immense. There's this from space now. You can, and there's pictures all over this article, so you should check it out at the Robert Krollich blog. Uh, there's this image of the United States from space at night, and there's obviously spaces that are lit up where the major cities are. So, okay, New York City obviously is very bright. Chicago is very bright. Uh, certain spots in Florida are pretty bright. You know, Orlando obviously Disney World, but then there's this spot in North Dakota that's just glowing. And the first part of the article is like, what is this about? So what we have here is an immense and startlingly new oil and gas field, nighttime evidence of an oil boom created by a technology called fracking. 150 oil companies, big ones, little ones, wildcatters, have flooded this region drilling up to eight new wells every day on what is called the back in formi- formation. So, check that out there 's pictures and video from a NASA satellite um, yeah, speaking of articles sent to me by other people, the stormer uh, sent me a thing about <laughs> the wife of i 'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, but it was kind of interesting uh, the wife of this is from the mail online, and I've been told to be suspicious of the mail but wife of Chinese premier hired body double in Haywood murder trial because she feared real suspect would reveal damaging secrets about corruption. That's the headline. Uh, Gu Kailai given suspended death sentence for poisoning Britain Neil Haywood following dispute over a multi-million pound property deal. Speculation is rife that it wasn't her standing in the dock at the one-day trial because the woman who appeared didn't look anything like her. So I don't know anything about any of this stuff, but I think it's interesting that the wife of the Chinese premier would hire a body double. Moving on to actual robots, uh, there's a new, the world's new second fastest robot is a tiny cardboard cockroach. And this is from fastcoexist.com. And if you can't trust Fast Coexist... Oh, no, it's Fast Company. Duh. Yeah, Fast Company is actually a reputable business uh, website, news organization. The six-legged cockroach, which can travel at almost nine feet per second, about a ten-minute mile, improves upon a real cockroach's speed with springy legs. As New Scientist explains, the Veloceroach... That's what it's called, the Veloceroach features C-shaped legs that touch the ground 15 times each second. Three legs are on the ground at any given moment in order to maintain stability. It does not avoid obstacles, instead bouncing its front up and pulling over anything in its way. While not the fastest robot in the world, Velociroach is the fastest for its size, moving 20 times its body length each second. It's exactly what it says on the tin. There's video on that website, people, so go check it out at Fast Company. Fast Company, Fast Cockroach. Also from Jesenar, there's a story about British soldiers flying nano-helicopters in Afghanistan. Uh, and this comes to us from defensetech.org. And their tagline, if I remember correctly, was an interesting one. So let me pull it up here now, and I can tell you. Where technology and defense intersect. Defense tech. And their logo is like all these lines through it. <laughs> yeah. Part of military.com, apparently. Uh, anyway, so there's these tiny little helicopters, and they look like like toys. British soldiers are flying in Afghanistan a miniature helicopter that is the size of your hand and weighs just 14 grams. The Black Hornet Nano Unmanned Air Vehicle is equipped with a camera that provides full motion video and still photos. I think that's supposed to be still photos. British soldiers have used it mostly to see around corners and into rooms. I'll bet they're seeing into rooms. Oh, look, they're naked. Fly in closer. All right, check this out. She's naked. Ah. Uh, two more stories here. Fecal transplants cure serious infections. I remember hearing about this like two years ago. I was like, what? I must be reading wrong. There's got to be something more to that headline. Like the time when I saw the article, it was like, Doctor Who uh, examined bin Laden. And I was like, what? Doctor Who examined bin Laden? What are you talking about? Uh, but it was a doctor who examined Bin Laden's body or something like that. And I, But I totally misread it, and so I put it on Reddit. <laughs> you see what I did there? Uh, the Doctor Who read it, and I said, hey, you guys will get a kick out of this. And then they were like, what? I'm confused. And then they were like, oh, I get it. And it got a lot of upvotes. ching That's important on Reddit to get upvotes because it's like karma and karma. If you get enough karma, then nothing happens. But it's it's good to get it. They're imaginary. They're like shroop bucks. Think about them like shroop bucks. Like Stanley Nichols. All right, fecal, back to, get to the fecal transplants. (laughs) Calm down, angry guy who has his own, still not a fair way to describe me. Uh, are you related to Brian? No! Who's Brian? Do you remember Brian, the guy who was on a while ago? What about Bob the businessman? Why don't you have him on this show? He's not welcome on this show. Get away, Bob. You're not allowed to be on this podcast. You're not going to say them on my show. Wasn't that the sound of you taking your... Wasn't that the sound of you taking your headset off? No, it wasn't. All you be quiet. I need to talk about fecal transplants. The thought of taking human feces from one—I'm per- quoting from the article now. This is not me. The thought of taking human feces from one person and pumping it into another makes most people's stomachs churn. But the technique, known as the Dutch sandwich, looks like it might be the best way to treat a severe and stubborn intestinal infection that kills about 14,000 people in the United States each year. All right, I'm joking about <laughs> fecal transplants being known as the Dutch sandwich. Uh, but that would be wouldn't that be awesome? We should start calling fecal transplants the Dutch sandwich, so that we could so that people would go, oh gross! And then we could say, okay, that's not really it, but here's what the Dutch sandwich is, and they would go, that's an outrage! I object! And then we can be like, yeah, let's put some pressure on the Dutch sandwich so that we can make it cut down into a six-inch sandwich. Ah, <laughs> that's a funny Subway joke. People who don't live near a Subway won't get it. That's a risk I'm willing to take. So apparently this. Intestinal infection kills 14,000 people in the U.S. each year, and fecal transplants are the way to cure it. A study published Wednesday in the New England Journal of Medicine found that fecal transplants cured 15 out of 16 people who had recurring infections with Clostridium difficile bacteria. I know for a fact that difficile in French means difficult. So that's the kind of worldly continental knowledge that I know about, and you're welcome. Meanwhile, only 7 of 26 patients and 2 control groups were cured with antibiotics. So if you ever get an intestinal infection, you should be like, start pumping in the fecal matter from other people into my intestines right now! Don't delay, don't ask questions, just do it! Never mind these antibiotics, I want fecal transplants. Ugh. Fecal transplants date to at least 4th century China when people with food poisoning ingested fecal matter. Uh, I hope nobody's eating right now, because then anytime you're eating and listening to my show, that's not a good combination. I'm sorry, people. I should have given a warning. Warning, warning. Fecal discussion coming up. But even saying fecal discussion coming up, that's just no good. Watch out for the Dutch sandwich. Fecal uh, Yeah, according to a Washington University doctor who has studied the process, in 1958... Doctors outlined for the first time the successful use of fecal enemas to treat antibiotic-associated colitis in four patients. The treatment is used to treat gut trouble in farm animals. Quote, we're going to start offering it because it works, said Dr. Matthew Siorba, assistant professor of gastroenterology at Washington University. Quote, it's been shown to work across different countries, different centers, different investigators, and different populations. The success rate is 80 to 90 percent, which is unheard of. DO IT! Now, why aren't people doing it? Hang on, there's two, they buried the lead twice on this. Buried lead number one, quote, some patients have even been instructed on how to do it at home. Home fecal transplants. Send away for your easy to follow instructions. Signed, The Dutch Sandwich. Uh, the food, and here's Barry Lee number two. The Food and Drug Administration doesn't regulate the transplants because fecal matter is organic. Did you know that? Fecal matter. So the FDA doesn't regulate these transplants. Anybody can do it. Go not start doing it. Don't do fecal. Attention listeners, do not do a fecal transplant in your own home. Consult a doctor and then they'll have you committed for being an insane person. Just go into your doctor and say, I want a Dutch sandwich, please. Only Dr. Spichemin would do that. Dr. Spaceman, I need a fecal transplant. Well, you're in luck, Tracy. We've had a lot of success with fecal transplants recently. And finally, we got to move. Get to the end of the show. Sarah Payne. I'm not at the end of the show. i got to complain about ICP. Oh, Yes, I want to hear that. All right. Uh, Sarah Palin's Fox News contract was not renewed. oh As of last week, and this was like a few weeks ago, so it's probably like a month old now. As of last week, she and Fox were negotiating a possible new contract. She reportedly received $1 million per year as part of her former contract, although, quote, according to the Times, New York Times, sometimes. This is from rawstory.com. Uh, Fox almost surely offered a lesser amount to Ms. Palin in the recent negotiations. Relations between Palin and Fox CEO Roger Ailes have been Rocky, reported the Huffington Post, and Ailes allegedly has privately called her stupid (gasps) Zing. So, I don't know. I'm I'm still fascinated by Sarah Palin, but her star may be setting, just like Dan Quayles kind of burnt out after a while. So we may be seeing the last quiet whispers of Sarah Palin's relevance to the national stage, which is good for the nation, but in terms of laughing at stuff uh she's always been a lot of great source of things that didn't work as a sentence just shut up and move on to hip-hop, 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 hip hop all right i got Two things about hip-hop this week. First of all, Jayden sent me a uh, – by the way, if anybody doesn't listen to the Veteran Gamers podcast but does listen to this show, uh, I guess there's probably four or five people like that. When I say that, I'm referring to Jason G, uh, who is a guy who writes into the Veteran Gamers show a lot. And I don't know why, but once upon a time we started saying his last name with a lot of guttural inflection. So I refer to him as Jayden uh, anyway, he sent me a piece from NPR about Dr. Dre's album, The Chronic, and it's ridiculous. The, the Chronic, 20 years later, an audio document of the LA riots. It's preposterous. First of all, there are much more important audio documents of the riots. Paris, Sleeping with the Enemy, Ice Cube, The Predator, uh, Public Enemy, uh, Hazy Shaded Criminal, All of these albums are much, The Coup, Kill My Landlord, all of these are much better audio documents of the riots than Dr. Dre's The Chronic, and it's just ridiculous. And B, there's no mention, conveniently, of Dr. Dre beating up the journalist Dee Barnes because he didn't like what she said in an interview. It's The whole thing is preposterous. Dr. Dre's a good producer, and that album is a classic, there's no doubt about it. But don't pretend like it's something it's not, okay? The Chronic is a celebration of decadence and drugs and drinking and, and... being uh, misogynist, and it's got funky beats, there's no doubt about it, but it's mostly just stupid good-time fun, and not if you're a woman, it's not good-time fun, but whatever. Anyway, thank you for the link, uh, but the real news this week, I got to talk to you about the Insane Clown Posse, because I, it's, I, I hate him, and I have reasons to hate him now, because one of my students was like, hey, you got to read this book that one of the members of the Insane Clown Posse wrote, so I read it, and then as soon as I got done reading like 150 pages, I came home, and I recorded this, so listen the insane clown posse okay for a long time i was trying to be open-minded about this juggalo shit, but you know what i can't take it anymore i had some students recently who were like mr p you gotta read behind the paint it's this book written by violent J, the leader of the insane clown posse it's his life story you gotta read it you're being closed-minded man so i was like all right you know what i'm gonna read it i'm gonna i'm gonna give it a chance i'm gonna come at it with an open mind and now i've read Let's see, where am I at? I'm on page 113, and I'm prepared to say with full confidence and no hesitation, f*** the Insane Clown Posse, f*** their stupid Juggalo bullshit, f*** anybody who's down with them, and f*** their fago stupid beverages, f*** their make-believe bullshit about miracles and magnets and all that horse crap and just to hell with them, okay? Insane Clown Posse, you are leading these poor misguided children down a path of ignorance, misery, and suffering, okay? You're not doing anything to help them elevate beyond their situation. You are telling them to run off into a make-believe fairyland of horse crap, butterflies, and miracles. There's all this stuff about, and then there was a wizard on top of the house, and he helped us pull off the top of the fire hydrant and I accidentally killed a butterfly and ever since then everything I do is think about the butterfly and when I'm an old man you better not say bad words near me the, oh my god, I can't believe it. Look, okay, there's a lot of things in this book that I read and I'm like, wow, that's messed up. Okay, your mom married this... Okay, first of all, their dad took off and took all their money. That's messed up, no doubt. And that made for their some difficulty when they were growing up. Okay, I have sympathy for that. They talk about her mom remarried to this guy who was molesting the kids. Totally messed up. And if you were to say, that's why I'm so messed up now, I'd be like, yeah, that's pretty messed up and I don't blame you for turning to, you know, scary stuff and trying to be an insane clown as a result. But that's not what they do. They say, it didn't affect me. I don't care. Who cares? Whatever. And then they say, I did horrible in school. And now to this day, I'm going to quote you from page 71 of Behind the Paint. This is right from the book. All I cared about was wrestling and ninjas. I'll get to ninjas in a minute. I sure didn't care about school or the people in it. In fact, yo, I have never gone through a single day of my life caring about school. For as far back as I can ever remember, school never, ever meant shit to me. I don't have any children yet, but if I ever do, it's going to be hard for me to tell them to stay in school. I better have a wife to tell them that shit because I still hate school. I gives no fuck if they slap a teacher's face off. You Really? You're going to hand this to your teacher and be like, read this with an open mind, man. And then, later on in the book, talking about... Page 112, we did horrible things. The shit I did in the township was like nursery school compared to the straight-up criminal shit we were getting into. There were these hookers who used to hang out in front of this motorcycle club called the Iron Coffins, and we'd call them over like we were going to pick them up. Right when they lean over into the window, we'd whip bricks at their faces like, Bitch, Get the hell out of here! We would leave them lying bloody in the street. I can't believe we actually did that shit now. Then we'd go back to Birmingham, our old stomping grounds. No, like, I can't believe, it's so horrible what we did. Not like, wow, I really had a screwed up vision of what men and women were like, and I really had a sick patriarchal vision. No, none of that. Just, there was some crazy stuff back then. Oh, I can't believe it. So, to hell with them. They have no repentance, nothing. All their whole thing is, I wanted to escape out of reality, and I still am escaping from reality. So, that's what they're telling kids. Escape from reality. There's no point in being in the real world. In other words, take the fing blue pill. That's what they're telling people. Take the blue pill. Live in your fantasy world. Engage in this make believe pro wrestling horse crap, and you don't have to worry about reality. You don't have to engage reality. You're not trying to make anything better. Just escape. Believe in butterflies and miracles miracles and, and wizards on top of how, and then there's this ghost story, but we drove down the road and there was this crazy man looking for his cat. I'm not making this up. This is one of the dumbest books I've ever read in my life. And I can't believe that this is the philosophy that these kids are following, that they're pursuing this. So anytime anybody ever comes to me with Insane Clown Posse, whereas 24 hours ago I would have had the attitude of like, you know what, I, I understand why people are drawn to that, I don't really like their music, but whatever. No, not anymore. Now I'm like, stop listening to that shit right now, because it's garbage and it's horse crap, and I'm going to tell you why. Because I have ammunition now. Every gangster worth his salt has said, don't be like me. Ice-T came out because his homie said, you have to tell the world what's going on in South Central so that we can do something about it, right? Boys in the hood, they either don't know or don't care about what's going on in South Central, right? Tookie Williams did not go to the gas chamber talking about, I don't care, who I'm crazy, miracles, ugh, butterflies. No, he went to the death chamber saying, kids, don't be like me make something positive out of your life, okay? So, don't give me this horse crap about insane clown pots It gives us something to believe in. It does, but it doesn't take you anywhere. It takes you to a land of make-believe and miracles. And if you want to live in a fairyland, hey, go for it. More power to you, but don't tell me you're getting free, and don't tell me you're trying to make anything better, and don't tell me you got some brotherhood and everybody accepts us for who we are. Because if I went there without this clown makeup and I said, no, School, you! They wouldn't accept me. If I said you should read books and do something with your life, they wouldn't accept me. So it's the same exclusionary, tribalistic mentality that we see in the Bloods and the Crips. And they, incidentally, in this book, they talk about, we used to pretend we were in the Bloods and the Crips, and we we were all red. (laughs) Oh, those are crazy times. The whole thing makes me sick to my stomach. Look, I understand why people want to be affiliated with a group, okay? I, I I was into you know that's the reason people go mosh pit dancing okay because you you feel that tactile closeness I get that okay people want to be affiliated with something larger than themselves but you know what the insane clown posse this whole jugaloo thing it's not something larger than yourself it's it's a whole bunch of people who are identical to yourself. And you're just, it's spinning into their own egos. And it's not looking at anything that's wrong with the world. It's not talking about making anything better. It's just about, let's make our own weird, twisted, face paint, miracle, butterfly shit. And it, ultimately, it means nothing. It has no effect on the world. And in fact, it has a negative effect because it's about uh, school and hit hookers with a brick. And that's crazy times. No. That sick, twisted sexist violence that is, and it's ignorant horse crap, and I don't have any use for it. So f you insane clown posse. Thank you for letting me read your book. I am now completely done with you people. So, you know, there's my thoughts about the insane clown posse, in case you were wondering. Let's do quote of the week. Friends, Romans, countrymen, lend me your ears. Stop repenting cause the ending is near, but don't panic, you can't function if you live in a fear. Pay attention, you gotta listen to hear. Wait, Frances Eliza Hodgson Burnett, born 1849, died 1924, was an English playwright and author. She was best known for her 1911 children's book, The Secret Garden, and it contains this following piece of narration. I love it. She was stirring her slow blood and making herself stronger by fighting with the wind. There you go, people. Fight with the wind. All right, that's it. Show notes and links to everything in this podcast are on my blog, Didactic Synapse, which is at fbesp.org slash synapse. My website is The Floating Brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is at fbesp.org, with links to music and fiction and multimedia and lots of other stuff. Shout-outs this week to and Stu and everyone else who sent me news stories and tweets and other stuff. I don't have a lot of time to edit this thing, so I apologize that there's dumb stuff I forgot to cut out. I'm a very busy man. Deal with hey, it. I don't have time to play with the phone here. I got a lot of stuff I gotta get yeah. done. Thanks for listening, people. Please get in touch with feedback or questions. I uh, can be reached at email at ESP at or you can tweet me at Duke Scath. I will stop talking now. Turn on. Didactic Syncast is a production of the floating brain of Eric S. Piotrowski, which is solely responsible for its content. This program is a joint venture of ribonucleic records and Garrison Multimedia. Our show is made possible by a grant from the Fargus Foundation. Some restrictions may apply. See SOR for details. Fight the power. So powerful hope you people appreciate the sacrifice involved in this, man. This is like two hours out of my Sunday when I should be playing Skyrim because all the only video game time I got at all today was like an hour of Skyrim earlier today and then like an hour and a half of Gears of War 3 and that's it. I got to get sane before tomorrow because I got to teach tomorrow and I'm going to be doing a lot of yelling tomorrow because we're going to be talking about the worst movies we've ever seen and I got a lot of things to say about Transformers so I'm going to stop talking in order to save my breath to save your breath for cooling your porridge as uh, Brad Pitt says in Snatch.